Welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe, and I'm here by myself at the top of the show just to introduce this episode a little bit. Kelsey and I will be back next week with a brand new full episode, but this interview was really one of our favorites. We had such an amazing time talking with Kat, and I know we say that about all of our authors, but this one really stuck with me. And as it's Pride Month, we definitely wanted to replay one of our interviews featuring an LGBTQ author. And if you haven't had the chance to listen to it, or even if you've listened to it last year, we really hope you love it again as much as we do. In this interview, Kat actually talks about her new release, which came out like last week. And so if you haven't already picked it up, you can do that now. And that is called The Queer Principles of Kit Webb. And we will have a link to that in the show notes so that you can grab it and gobble it up. Now, before we get into the episode, I do have just a couple of housekeeping things to mention. First off, if you haven't listened to our last episode yet, then you don't know that we are asking you, our listeners, to help us choose our next series. So we have two in the running, and we would love to know which one that you think we should go for. So to do that, all you have to do is visit bit.ly slash strumpet series and cast your vote. It's that simple. We will be announcing the results of that sometime in early July and moving on with our next big series. And I'm really excited about that. And I would be remiss if I did not talk about what we are reading next week. So next week, we are reading a new author for Kelsey and I and for the podcast, but it is another male-male Regency romance, and it is called The Vicar and the Rake by Annabelle Green. And we really can't wait to discuss it with you all. So please join us next week. And in the meantime, as always, may all your ever afters end happily. And now let's get into our interview from last year with Kat Sebastian. Today, we're joined by the sensational Kat Sebastian. Welcome, Kat. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have you here to kick off, well, our first interview in Pride Month here. But yeah, we're doing four Pride episodes, or four episodes, I should say, you know, uh, inspired by Pride, Pride Month. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're just really excited to get to talk to you. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Yes. And so since... uh, We really like to start things out with a bang. We're going to break the ice with our toughest question. (laughs) So that way, everything else is just way easier. Okay. Are you ready? I'm braced. All right. Do you have a favorite romance novel? And if so, what is it? Okay. So I do, but the answer is complicated. Okay. So if you had asked me a year ago, I would have had a different answer. But Mm -hmm. like in the past year, I have read heated rivalry by Rachel Reed like like 10 times so I think I have so I think I have to just say (laughs) that's my favorite it's like it is it is like about hockey players like it is an it is an a a rival it's like a rival rivals to lovers story about about like gay hockey players and on the face of it there should be nothing in this book for me like nothing at all but mm-hmm. it is so good. It is so funny. It is, it is, um, 
it's like the it's idiots to love. Like the whole book is just they're just so dumb. They're they're like they're <laughs> they're too stupid to understand that they're in love with one another. They think they're having hate sex, but they're like passionately in love and they don't know it. And it is <laughs> it is so funny and I love it. And it is like the most reliable comfort read that I have right now. So I think that has to qualify as my favorite. However, there is like way at the other spend, other, 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 um, end of the romance spectrum. There's Laura Kinsale's For My Lady's Heart, which is like, I don't think you could find anything more different than Heated Rivalry, but that's my other favorite. And it's like, you've got your medieval murder princess and you have, um, like a, a virgin knight <laughs> and they they're like they're like in constant peril and it's like half written in medieval english and it's so good oh. like and it's like heartbreakingly lovely prose and i love it and it is like 20 times more stressful than i can handle right now <laughs> but <laughs> like, i'm really looking forward to reading it again so those are my two answers Oh, that's so interesting. First of all, I've never read a hockey romance, so maybe now I have a place to start. It is so good. <laughs> I, it is so good. I feel like evangelical about it. Like it is. I talk about it constantly. <laughs> I wish I could just. I wish I could get like physical copies, and I would just hand them out to people. Like when we re- when we resumed like seeing people in person, like I would just like oh. that would be like the thing that I gave people. Like, hi, I'm Kat. Nice to meet you. Like here. Here, read about your stay happy player. I love it. And actually, the last author that joined us also, her favorite romance is Laura Kinzale. And I've never read Laura Kinzale either. So we also already talked about it that we're going to read one in July on the podcast because we definitely need to. Let me guess that it was was Scarlet Peckham and it was Flowers from the Storm. Okay, yes. yes, We've talked about that. Yeah. It's um, (laughs) – that that part is – yeah, that would have been – if I had to list five, that would have been up there too. And she described it as like if you want to sob for a few yeah. hours, like it's the best book for you. Yeah. So another emotionally like heavy uh-huh. like, <laughs> kind of book. It's like uninterrupted crying for Oh, gosh. Oh, great. Yeah. Really, prepare ourselves. Yeah. Well, that's why I like July. I feel like if we talk ourselves up to July, I think we'll be ready by then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't – a good cry can be cathartic too. So totally, I, totally. I, I've definitely picked up books just knowing it was going to make me sob, and it's like this is okay. This is what we're doing right now. Oh yeah, definitely. There's a place for that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I agree with you that like right now, I'm also really into the comfort reads. So I totally, mm-hmm. I totally yeah. get that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> So we want to know a little bit more about you and your background and your history with romance. Sure. Like how, when did you first discover romance? And then also how did you first find gay romance? Okay. So I have, I mean, I've always read for a romance subplot. Okay. Like I've always done mm-hmm. that. And like looking back, it is wild that I didn't come to romance before I did. Okay. And I can only blame just like internalized misogyny or something that it took me until I was 32, um, to just like take the plunge. But what happened was, um, I was like, my younger kids were born and they were twins. And so like, I was just like very, like, I, I wanted to read. Okay. And, and I was spending a lot of time just like, sitting down with a child in my lap. And so I wanted to be able to read, but I didn't want to read anything that 
um, had bad things happen. Okay. Like that was really key. Mm. So my home, my home genre before that had been mystery, but like the idea of reading about yes. somebody being like murdered because I had come to like the, the, like, like as part of my like postpartum, like mental state, I had realized that everybody was somebody's baby. Okay. At some point, like that was like my big thing. Right? So, like, <laughs> <laughs> but, like I couldn't read about anybody being murdered because like, what about their mom? Okay. Like, which looking, oh, back, no. which looking back is like, what? But okay. Okay. But that's where I was. So I could only read about people wearing nice dresses and going to parties. Okay. And drinking Perfect. ratafia or whatever. Like that was it. Mm-hmm. That was like, that was, so I read like everything by Julia Quinn in like 10 days, <laughs> you know, and then and I slowly like worked my way through and it was okay. I ran out like, Oh God, like this is a crisis, you know? And so I basically, and this is before I had a Kindle or anything like that. So I just was like sweeping everything off the shelves in my library, you know, like into a totem mm-hmm. and just like reading everything. And, um, and then once I started, I really didn't stop. Like that was, I, that was it. You know, like I, I discovered ebooks. I, I guess this was back. This was now, now we're in like, it had to be 2011, 2012 at that point. And so, mm-hmm. um, and it's, I haven't looked back, you know? Fair. I think uh, getting a Kindle was spurred on by my love of romance yeah. in about the same year as you're describing yeah. because yeah. I went on vacation. I brought five books with me and then read all of them within the first three days of vacation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so a, that's I was like, exactly. cool, I've got another 10 days here and I have zero books. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an emergency, okay? Yes. <laughs> you know? But yeah, I, for me, it was I couldn't get Courtney Milan's... Um, the governess, the governess, oh, what is it? The one with the, the governess. The governess affair? Yes. The novella? Yes. I couldn't, oh, God. I couldn't get it. I love that America. book so yes. much. It is a, it's a perfect novella. And so. That's how we describe that's, it. That's yes. how we describe it. It's like, it is, Seriously. It is totally flawless. It's exactly what you want in, in a novella. And oh. so I had to, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to go. And like, and it was free. It was like zero dollars. Okay, so I don't know why this mm-hmm. felt like a huge plunge, like in an ebook. And so I did. <laughs> so when you go back and you look at my purchasing history on Kindle, like that is the first. That's the first book that I got. You know, mm-hmm. and, then, and then after that, we have like, we have you know, like a book a day <laughs> for yes, eight years. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I definitely like have had moments where I'm like, I should go back and look at my whole purchase history. And then I was like, you know, and no, no, I don't want to know how much I've spent because every penny has been worth it. it I think there's no reason. Yes. I was pleasantly surprised because my husband wanted to go through finances and things. And oh. he was actually like going through credit card statements for a year. And he's like, baby, we need to go through this. And I was like looking at all my Amazon purchases and I know which ones are the Kindle purchases. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised at how much restraint I have. Good work. Good I think work. I only spent. I think I only spent a few hundred dollars in a year, which is like that's fine. I wow. thought I spent way more than that. Yeah, no, that's that's like that's you could have spent that really badly, and instead you spent it exactly. Well, you know, I know. Yeah. And so then, how did you end up, or how did you find gay romance? So, I I've tried to figure this out because people have asked me before, and. I had read gay fan fiction, okay? Like I had read like mm-hmm. like like Sherlock Holmes fan fiction. Like that was 
that was oh okay but like had, i hadn't connected it to historical romance at all like these were two totally different <laughs> things in my head okay so people have said like oh like you must have like you, you know like what was what like what what fan fiction did you write before and i'm like you know what like i wish i had you know but i other than like when i was like 20 i didn't i haven't and so i knew that like as a i knew that as a concept gay historical romance existed and then somebody somehow recommended kj charles and it was mm. like and then it was like snowball effect i had read everything of hers i had read every all of the like amazon also bots i looked and saw what other people who liked her book had read and it, and um and and like that was you know that was that i i, I was a happy reader did i think i was going to write it at that point no um and that that's also like again like you would think that i would make the connection like oh i could write this but no the first book that i tried to write was um was not in any way gay it was like very I don't ever want to look at that again and find out what it was. Like, I don't, you know, <laughs> um, it was like, I had read too much Georgia hair and was like, I'm going to write that. Okay. And it, and I'm sure it was not successful because I didn't finish it. But what happened was Avon was having in the summer of 2015, they were having a contest that was like a round Robin type of thing where people, okay. people would write, there was a prompt and then people would write the first chapter. Okay. The first scene mm -hmm. rather of a story. And based on that prompt, and then there would be voting. And then based on whoever won the first round, everybody would write a second, a second scene to follow off on that, the winner scene. And so mm. I read the prompt and I guess I was just in a mood. Okay. Because I was like, you know what? Like, how come, like, how come there isn't, the space in historical romance for like, I like dukes and ballrooms and all of that also, but how come like you have, how come we don't have like room for queer people in the dukes and ballroom and low angst historical romance scene? Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a prompt where that like, if, if I, I wrote, I wrote a scene that, that answered the prompt that fit the prompt, but it was about, a gay duke who was a jewel thief. Okay. And, Ooh. and like, <laughs> and, or something like that. I, I could be, I don't, I don't know. And it was like, <laughs> and, and much, and it wasn't like, I wasn't trying, I wasn't like mocking the prompt or anything like that. It was at all. And, and it got a lot of positive attention from the other people who were participating and also from a couple of Avon editors, especially including the woman who became my editor, Al Keck. And so, like, she got in touch with me at some point and said, you know, if you ever want to write anything, you know, send it to me. And I was like, that, of course, is like, that's a humongous, like, boost to confidence, right? And so mm -hmm. I, I had oh, never yeah. finished anything at that point. And I was like, now I must finish anything because that's effectively an assignment, right? And so I was staying home with my kids at that point. So I had time on my hands, you know. And they were at the point where they were in school a couple of days a week. And I was going to start doing things like remodel the house if I didn't have something to something to do with my time, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. and so like, I was like, yeah, I'll write a book. Sure. Okay. And I did. And, but it was like, and that was the book that became, that was the soldier scoundrel. 
And, mm. and, but at that time, Avon hadn't published anything that wasn't, they, they had published something, they had a few non-straight books, but they weren't historical. So okay. I didn't want to submit it to Elle right away because I assumed that she wouldn't want it. Because, okay. Which was stupid. I should have, okay. But it wasn't, because, <laughs> but it wasn't. It worked out really well because I, that's how I submitted it to my agent. I submitted it to like a handful of agents. There weren't many in 2015 who, who were doing what I was, who were selling what I was doing. Right. And so I, mm-hmm. I queried a couple of them and that's how I met my agent. And she was interested, and long story short, she sold it to Avon, and here we are. Wow. Brilliant. I mean, that's so exciting, too, because that was the first male-male historical that Avon it published, was. There right? Were, I mean, it really there was. Were, there were, like, a whole bunch of others. Um, like, at that point, Random House, um, you know, Katie Charles was with Love Swept, um, you know, she had, mm-hmm. and they were their Random House, and or at least they were, and there were... I think Karina must have had some. And so there were others out there, but it was Avon's first. And like, and when I was writing, like I knew that the book I was writing was like an Avon style historical romance. Okay. Like, Mm -hmm. and in, in 2015, that definitely made sense. Right. Like there was a style that I felt like I could identify as like, this is like the Avon style. Like I was deliberately saying like, I want to write something that's like a, like a low stakes, like, um, like more, more like angst than plot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And, and I'm not like, like five years later, I think that, I think that like our definitions of like what different people are publishing has really, really broadened, you know, but at the time that made sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that the more of, of these kind of slightly different novels. And I, I say slightly different to, to encompass just that I feel like the trend right now in romance is to broaden yeah. everything and not just in, you know, uh, people of color or, you know, different sexualities. I think like even the straight romances, we're starting to see just a, a, a slightly new generation. And yes. I'm, I'm really excited by yeah, that. Me, and me I, too. I really like that. Yeah, no, me too. That's like every time something is published, that's like just pushing the envelope a tiny little bit. It's super exciting because like you know that it's just the beginning right like I can't Mm -hmm. I can't wait until we have like a resurgence of medievals like that's what I'm like I I know it's gonna happen okay (laughs) I know it's gonna happen that we're gonna have that we're gonna have the like we're gonna have like um like all like most of the medievals that are out there are like straight and white Right, like they're like, I'm like, mm-hmm. and I say that as like a huge fan of like what's out there, but like you just know that there's going to be like more is coming, and then we're gonna have like the restoration romance of my dreams, you know, and like this is all gonna happen. I'm just putting it out there. Somebody write the restoration romance. It can't be me. <laughs> <laughs> Super. So you were published through Avon to begin with. And then you've published quite a few books yes. since 2015 as well. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm at, I and, think it's at 11 or 12. I think I'm at 11 or 12. Yeah. Dang. Wow. wow. Yeah. So which isn't, which actually isn't even that many. I mean, there are people who happily write three books a year and they don't look back, you know, like, 
Well, it's true. I follow. I mean, I'll look for new releases from authors that I love. And, you know, there's some of them who will have two books out in one year. And then there's other authors where I'm waiting two years for the next book. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And a lot of it has to do with like, who's working a day job, right? Like, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then I also saw that uh, have you you've self published Mm -hmm. the books as well as had um, publishing companies. So is are those self-published books because you just loved them and needed them out in the universe quickly? Yes. Or oh, well, it's so. Um, when I wrote the Hither Page, is like my that's my self that's like my self-published novel. Okay, I have another novella. Mm-hmm. I have another novella that's in an anthology, but it's not. It t- it takes place in nineteen. Oh, I'm gonna blank. It takes place in nineteen forty nine. Okay. And, um, yeah, okay. it takes or 47. <laughs> it's something like that. Okay. It's right after world war two in mm-hmm. like a Miss Marple style murder village. And it's, um, it's like, you know, you've got your detective and your spy and they fall in love while, si- while solving like, like a really bloodless murder that took place in a, mm-hmm. in a stately home. Like, you know, you know, the, you know what it is, you know? And, um, yes. <laughs> and it, it isn't, it didn't fit in with what I, I assumed that nobody was going to that none of the like traditional publishers were going to want it. And so I long story short, I self published it and I'm and I'm glad I did because it's 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 pretty niche, but enough people liked mm-hmm. it to make it worthwhile. And so I'm, the sequel will happen eventually when I finish writing it. You know, and then the other book that I've self-published is a novella that's in an anthology. He's come undone, and that just came out either last week or the week before. I have no, I have no idea. Um, but and um, and that's and that takes place in 1959 in America, which is like the first mm-hmm. book I've written in America, which was exciting, and so. Um, I also have a follow-up to that, which I'll self-publish probably in the fall. So, but yeah, basically the books I self-publish are ones that I can't see being marketable more broadly, like that, that aren't, that like, yeah. you know, like it's like what, well, when I talk to, like when I talk to my editor, I know that what they want from me is, um, historical that's like in the traditional definition of historical okay Mm -hmm. like uk and um before 1900 okay and yeah and that's fine but sometimes you want to write something else and i don't and you don't know if there's really going to be an audience for it and it's and Mm -hmm. self-publishing gives you the gives you enough flexibility to take a risk yeah. Well, and that makes sense because like the time periods you're describing are often more seen in like I've read them more just in regular novels. Yes, that's literally like, that's, that's exactly what like, I And that's the thing yeah. is and where there and like you said before, you're reading a lot of mysteries with like a romance mm-hmm. subplot, mm-hmm. but that wasn't the main plot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those books you're describing that take place in that time are often either mysteries or they're war novels or something. Yeah. But the romance is like the key element to it. Yeah. And that's why I enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, me too. It's like you, it's, um, those are periods you see in like, like women's fiction with like big air quotes. Cause I don't know. 
I don't know what that means. And I'm not sure anybody knows what it means, but, but that's yeah, no. <laughs> where it's like, it's not literary fiction and it's not romance, but there is, like you said, a romance plot that usually ends happily. And, mm-hmm. but it's a totally different, I, I guess it's a different audience. Like, I guess it is. I don't know. Does anyone know? We have no data on this. And so, yeah. so yeah, it doesn't, it's so yes, it was, and what I'm writing isn't like it is not his, like women's fiction, historical fiction. Like it's a romance novel. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like there's no like sweeping tale of like of like warfare or whatever happening in here. You know, mm-hmm. it's like people falling in love and like drinking tea and nothing really nothing really happens. <laughs> like, you know, beautiful. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. <laughs> so. We wanted to get a little deeper into, you know, gay romance in general and also writing um, historical gay romance. Okay. And so I have a kind of a broad question for you. Um, but what do you think uh, makes gay romance different or sets it apart uh, okay. from, let's say, like hetero romance? Okay. I think, the, I think that I think that once you start chipping away at the idea that romance is supposed supposed to be um, for straight, white, rich, able-bodied people, okay, um, then you are opening the door to challenging a whole lot of other premises, okay? So once you cast, Mm -hmm. once you cast non-straight people as the leads in a romance, I think you have to question, like, a lot of the, like, fundamental inequalities in the period that you're writing in, I think that you have to look at, I think you have to look at gender. I think you have to look at, um, inherited wealth. And I think you have to look at, and like, and this is all also going to come down. You're going to wind, you're going to have to look at like xenophobia and like race issues too. Like, like you, mm-hmm. like you're going to have to because you're writing about people who are, who are outsiders, even if they're passing as insiders. Okay. Like they, mm-hmm. like if they're, they probably will have questioned what makes them an outsider and they may have thought about, they may have thought about what makes other people outsiders. And so if they're thoughtful, thoughtful, like introspective people, then this will come through in their worldview. So I think that, so I think that there's that. Does that mean that every single romance involving queer people has to be an issue book? No, like it is, but not, not at all. Like not, I think that it just means that you have an opportunity to write about people who have challenged the status quo. And I think that's, mm-hmm. I think that's, I, I mean, and I like doing that. Like I'm not, I, not every, not every character I write has that at the forefront of their minds all the time, but it makes, but one of my books has a radical publisher in it. And it makes, and I feel like it makes total sense that this flows from the fact that she's queer and this has, and so this, this like informs the way that she sees the world around her. She's not going to be happy to get married. She's not going to be happy. I mean, she does. Okay. But like, it's not, but like, that's not her, right? That's not, she's not delighted about it, you know? And she's really not happy that the person that she winds up marrying is um, not only rich, but that he's inherited a title. Like this is this goes against everything that she knows is right and fair. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I and I, I think that 
so yeah, that's and I like doing that. Like I, I like writing characters who who are not happy with the world around them and may not be devoting their lives to like activism, but that it like what will be required for them to have a happy ending is not going to be what you might see in a typical traditional in air quotes romance novel. Definitely. Yeah. And would you say, cause I've seen, um, you know, through the internet, I've seen you kind of sum up your books in like one trope, like you were commenting on like two rogues make a right as like one bed, the novel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love, like, I love the synthesis of yeah. it. It's such like a very like tiny matter, but would you say that like you like writing stories? Cause you've also said some, just even now you were saying some of your stories, like there's not a lot that actually happens yeah. plot wise. Would you say that you like writing stories that more emphasize the character's journey versus like the plot like the plot is there to kind of help them realize you know themselves but or like what they want and get to that goal but yeah would you say the characters are your primary concern yeah it's yes i mean i i think i really love writing reading plotty plotty romance and and plotty things in general but as a as a writer my books tend to have the minimum amount of plot needed to scaffold the character's emotional journey Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying, like, actually, the book I'm writing right now has more plot. Like, I'm just trying, like, as, a, as an experiment, I'm seeing if I can write a book where things happen. Um, but, <laughs> but, like, my books tend to be about characters who, like, their main journey is getting over themselves. Okay. Like, they need to figure out, they need to, like, get rid of whatever garbage they have in their brain and learn to take care of other people and let other people take care of them. Like, that's the main journey. Okay. Like nothing external needs to happen to make that, to make that complete other than them just seeing the light pretty much. Yeah, that's fair. Cause I mean, the reality is most people have their self introspective moments, not because radical things are happening around right. them, but because they've just had a moment where they're like, Hmm, maybe I should self evaluate right now. Or like, you know, like this is exhausting. Like living the way I'm living is just exhausting. Like it's taking so much mm-hmm. out of me, like to constantly remind myself that I'm not supposed to do this is tiring. What if I just like whatever and I give in, you know, and that's like really unsatisfying in a book, but like you can, you can sort of tweak it so that like that it's like a, that is the culmination of something that's been happening for many chapters. And I know we've kind of touched on this already, but I feel like right now is the perfect time for those sort of stories, right? Yeah. Where the the stakes don't feel as stressful. It's just, you know, and I love, I mean, romance, we all know that at the end, they're going to live happily ever after. So we know we're, we're getting to that moment, but still sometimes right now, um, it's just nice to feel like you're on this journey of two people falling in love. And that's what it's centralized around, like even more. So it's hyper, hyper them falling in love and them becoming, you know, overcoming their, their own obstacles. I really like that. Yeah. And that's like, it's, that's the, what's the most fun for me to write, you know, like it's characters who have, you know, a lot of conversations and they spend time to one another and they're like working out, like they're working out like how their two different personalities will, will work together and they're sort of sanding off the edges. Like that's, that's what I like to write. 
And it is, yeah, it's, it's like really hard actually for me to figure out like how to make stuff happen in the context of all of that, which is, which is maybe not great from a craft perspective, you know, but it's, um, like what I want to do is put characters in a room together and have them work through their shit. Okay. So like, you really can't do that. Like you really can't have 70,000 words of just that, you know? So like, I'll be like, okay, well, they'll go on a picnic and work through their shit. And then they're going to go <laughs> to a play and work through their shit. Like, you know, and that's like, and that's, and you know, and like, and maybe we'll have like a little tiny morsel of a B plot, you know, like, and that's, mm-hmm. and that's, that's what I do. Yeah, as someone who just like a day or two ago finished an an arc of uh, Two Rogues Make a Right, I'm trying really, I'm trying, I'm trying really hard not to like interject anything because I don't want to have like spoilers. I do want to talk about it a little bit at okay. the end of this, but I'm just like, I'm just like, yes. <laughs> so um, anyhow, but um, I want to know what drew you to writing in the past in the Regency area because. Not very many people were writing queer stories in the past. Um, certainly not a lot that were getting, you know, a lot of notice, right? I mean, obviously you've 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 named some names already. I'm not trying to say mm-hmm. that no one was doing it and you were the first one. Don't but it it wasn't it's not maybe the obvious choice. You know? Yeah. So part of it really was just that like I had really I had read like everything Jordan Hawk had written at that point. And I was like, why well, yes, I will set something in like a sort of past, you know. You know what I mean? Like, and it, it, it has, it just has a lot to do with what I was reading. I had also been reading a lot of, um, like Cecilia Grant and Courtney Milan. And so like, I had that idea of like a low, like a low plot romance in the past, like in my head, in my head when I was starting to write, like I knew it could be that. And I realized also that sounds like incredibly like, wow, like 2015 me like really was full of herself that she was like, because she read Courtney Milan and, and Cecilia Grant. I was like, well, yes, I too can do that. But what I mean is, what I mean is that they, they were writing, like they were writing that, that, um, the kind of book that also has the minimum amount of plot to scaffold the character's angst. Okay. Like just enough happenings to hold up their like emotional journey. And, and so, I like that. I like the, and I also like the, the idea of populating the past with people who are queer, disabled, not rich. Okay. Like I really, really like that. I liked, I like the idea of including people who get excluded like that. I find really, really satisfying from a, like a writing or, or creation perspective, you know, like, because and it doesn't mean that no one else is doing it, but it's, but certain characters are overrepresented and some are almost invisible. And so like with two ropes make a right, I was like, you know what? I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen somebody with like tuberculosis in a romance novel where, mm-hmm. and like at the time, some shocking number of deaths in London were from tuberculosis. Like a huge number of people had it. Okay. And it is not a particularly glamorous disease. And mm-hmm. although, although like I had also, I had watched whatever, like I had watched like Bright Star in which like Ben Wishaw dies like very prettily of, of <laughs> tuberculosis as Keats. And so like, so like, you know, I did have like, I had that, as inspiration, like so much so that like when I was talking to the 
to um to Joel Leslie who does the audiobooks. He was like, This is we're doing Ben Wishaw for this character, right? I was like, Yes. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like he knew. But um but I wanted to include somebody who was, you know, chronically ill and chronically ill in a way that was, you know, true to the era. So I so yeah, I do like I do like filling my stories with people who don't always get included in in historical romance. Um, I love that because it's I'm very I like history, if you couldn't tell by my love of <laughs> historical romance. Um, but you know, we we've talked about it in the past, Zoe and I on the podcast about, you know, you skip over a lot of the not so pretty romantic things about the past eras. And mm-hmm. Like you just said with tuberculosis. Tuberculosis is like the world's oldest, deadliest disease. Right. People have been dying of it for like hundreds and hundreds, like since right. the dawn of time, they've been dying mm-hmm. from it. It's the literally the oldest disease people actually have recognized. And people are still dying from it today. <laughs> right, right. And it's just so interesting because you're right. Like the reality is, it, but it's also talking about like syphilis, like uh-huh. The reality is people were dying of syphilis in the Victorian era, people mm-hmm. were dying of tuberculosis, and it was kind of a crapshoot whether or not you'd get either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, also malaria, you know what I mean? Like there's just, like people have it, people don't really know what to do with it, and it winds up being a fact of life, not only for the people who have it, but for like society, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. 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 We just read a Julia Quinn with malaria. In yes, it. <laughs> I know. Wait, that, is that when he is that when he was wicked? Is that the yes, one? Yes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh my gosh! But before we tangent too far, <laughs> um, so what are what do you find the differences to, or what would you say the differences are of writing queer stories in the past? versus set today like you know what are the difficulties or that you think maybe are a little bit more or do you do you disagree with that statement hmm so I've never tried to write a queer story set today but I mean I don't ever like with my Regency set books no one's talking about being out Right. Like that's the main issue. No one's talking about being out. I mean, no one's talking about being out publicly, being out to friends and family is different, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but I think that the, like the, the fact that they both know that they are going to have to keep their relationship on the quiet because there's like actual literal danger out there, you know, like that's, that I think is probably the key difference, but even as I'm saying that, there's plenty of people, there's plenty of queer people out there today who are not safe, you know, and who face like actual, you know, legal discrimination and also physical danger if they come out. So, so like in broad strokes, that's a difference, but when you get down to individual people, it's maybe not, right? And also in the past, there were plenty of people who were powerful enough that they could do pretty much whatever they wanted. And like, they're, they're like the big consequence to them if they were discovered was that they might have to go to the continent. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, um, so I would say that like that, like the, 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 like the need for secrecy is a big one. Um, 
And like the, the acceptance, the acceptance of discrimination also, you know, like that's, you know, you don't want to, again, like you plenty there, the world is, you know, history is filled with happy queer couples. Okay. Um, and not everything and the acceptance of discrimination doesn't mean that you just, just take it. And it doesn't mean that you're sad about it all the time, every minute of the day, but it's there. Um, so that's a difference. And also the figuring out of how you're going to be together in a practical sense, uh, without, without triggering anybody's suspicion, right? Like that's mm-hmm. like where the happy ending has to include a, a cover story, right? So I would say those are probably the key differences. Um, but other than that, like, you know, really I'm just writing about people who are trying to figure out a way to be happy. And that has more to do with the individual character's needs and personalities than it probably does to do with the setting or with, you know, their identity. Brilliant. And do you feel like queer historical romance has set rules, which like a lot of people will think that there are Mm. for straight historical romance? Or do you feel like maybe since there are fewer people writing it, there is more flexibility to establish those norms of the genre? That is, that's a really good question. I think that like what I was saying before about meeting about how when you're writing about people who are outside, like the who are like who are outsiders in at least in at least one way. I think that lets you challenge other conventions. I think that what a grand gesture looks like, or whether you even need one, okay, is because we're talking about people who may need to be private, right? You might not need that. Also, obviously, the happy ending doesn't need to include marriage, and in many cases, can't include marriage, right? So, like when I. I've written two male female romances and one of them ended in marriage and one of them didn't. And it didn't even occur to me to have the second one end in marriage. Okay. Because I had written, you know, because I had written at that point eight books that hadn't ended in marriage. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so it wasn't, it wasn't a particularly, I think that was easy for me as somebody who's writing queer romance to, to like get away with that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so there's that. Other than that, like I, I'm like very aware that what I'm writing is in that, like I'm, I am writing a historical romance. Okay, like I am trying to, to like, to write things that will satisfy readers of historical romance, but also satisfy people who want to see themselves in historical romance. Okay. So mm-hmm. I don't ever want to stray too far from what historical romance is because I'm trying to deliver something to that will satisfy readers. Okay. Like that's at least that's, and that's, that's me. Like there are way, plenty of other people who are pushing the envelope more and in other directions, but that's, that's where I'm coming at. That's how I'm, that's how I'm doing it. I think it's a I think it's still pushing the envelope as far as <laughs> like keeping the happily ever after to not marriage and babies because yeah. 
you know, like while, you know, personally, like I want marriage and babies, like that's not necessarily in a book, but like I personally want that. But just even having a happily ever after, as you said, you wrote one that was a male female that didn't end in marriage. I think that's fantastic because there is so much like society itself is moving away from the fact that women have to get married. Women have to have babies. Like Mm -hmm. some women are like, you know, for a long time, my sister was like, honestly, I don't even know if I want to get married. You know, and she did have like the typical romance of she met the right guy and now suddenly marriage thoughts are in her head. But (laughs) like it wasn't like that wasn't her goal. Like her goal wasn't to get married. And I think there's plenty of people like and for you writing characters that people can see themselves in writing happily ever afters that are outside the typical allows people to see themselves in the character in a different way. So I'm all for it. and. I think it's excellent. <laughs> Sorry, there really wasn't a question at the end of that. I'm just saying you're excellent. Uh, and I think, I think, like as a you know a straight white woman, right? I and or just maybe as as a very avid reader of historical romance, um, I just really like I kind of mentioned at the beginning I'm really loving just seeing different versions of the happily ever after and seeing different people fall in love like I just I love love and I find when you get to a story that you don't expect but does something that you know or when you're reading a story and it does something you didn't expect or maybe it makes you think a little bit more or it challenges you to uh to see that that's their happily ever after and even though that's not the happily ever after you thought you for you like th- i still think like there's i i mean there's just so much you can get out of that you know like when when i got to the end of the raycast which spoilers for the raycast if you haven't mm-hmm. listened to our raycast episode um and she doesn't <laughs> get married um i remember the first time i read it i was like Ugh. and then like immediately i was like no that's the right character choice for this character and so i should be happy because they're getting their happiness you know so i think it's the same you know just reading about different people i just think it opens up your eyes even if you aren't of that you know demographic right i think hopefully it makes you grow as a person. Um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the reading we've done this year for the podcast um, has definitely made us grow as people. Neither of us had read male, male romance or any sort of non-hetero romance before this podcast. And we even mentioned (laughs) it, you know, or we were talking about it recently where I was like, yeah, I'm really like, I'm so glad we did that and did this podcast and, and and it opened our eyes to that. I don't think I was ever actively avoiding, you know, different romances, but I just mm-hmm. didn't know it was there. And I didn't, I didn't have any inkling that it would do everything for me, that a hetero romance would do for me. And I just, I'm so thrilled that, you know, I realized that and I grew from that and I found that. So, but it's not all about me. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> But I think I think that that's I think that a lot of people have had that. Who have, a lot, I think many people have come to queer romance from straight romance in that way. You know where you where you start to like you're like oh this is a happy ending and then you broaden your definition of what a happy ending is mm-hmm. and and then this is good because now you have more things that satisfy you yes. as a reader, you know? So I think that that's just like a really, a really like, I think that that is 
something I would love to see happen across many different, many different, um, axes in historical romance, right? Like it would be so great if we could have that happen with a, with a whole bunch of romances that aren't set in Europe or America, right? Mm-hmm. Like that would be like, I don't know if you guys have read Jeannie Lynn. Okay. Like she wrote a whole bunch of, um, I know historical though, romances yeah. set in, yes, really mm-hmm. a long time ago, China. And they are so good. And she's not writing them anymore. And it would be, and they're also super duper tropey, like Harlequin yeah. romances. Mm-hmm. Like they are, <laughs> they are like, so they're so, so satisfying from, or for a reader of historical romance who comes in and you're like, Oh, it's a My Fair Lady <laughs> retelling, you know? And, and like, or like, Oh, it's like, it's, um, this is, it's, I was talking about like, you know, murder princesses with Laura Kinsale, like, Oh, this is a murder <laughs> princess, you know? And, um, and, I, I would love to see, it would be so great if we could have uh, more of that because like what you just described about like, you know, coming into queer romance and being like, Oh, it's a, it's a romance. Like, I feel like we could have that happen with romances that are um, like, that are, that are diverse in setting and in, and in like casting, you know, I think that Absolutely. would be great. I hope that's next, you know? So I think that leads pretty well into the the next question I was hoping to ask, which is, why do you think that there are so few people writing those kinds of stories or specifically writing queer stories in the past? So I think there's more and more and more and more. Okay. Like, I think that in 2015, you probably could have counted on, well, I know you could have counted on two hands the number of people who were doing it because I did count because I needed to know who their agents were, right? Um, <laughs> but like, but it has grown exponentially since then. Like, I keep saying, like, I got in, like, right at the, like, if I had waited a year, it wouldn't have been interesting to anybody. Like, I would have, do you know what I mean? Like, I would have been, like, one of, one of mm-hmm. 50 different people doing, doing what, doing the same thing. Um, I think that, based on just the number of like arcs that I have like sitting on my phone right now, like there's a huge influx of queer romances in a whole different variety of settings coming our way soon. And that's really, really exciting to me. So it's happening. Yay. We're going to sidetrack a little bit because we have a listener submitted question. Okay. So we're going to, this is from our listener, Chris, and they ask, would you say Marx has a real influence on your work? <laughs> they said they are curious because you have writer of Marxist tract in your Twitter bio. No, Marx has, Marx himself has no influence. <laughs> like, I'm sorry to Carl, sorry to Carl, Mar- Carl Marx, um, but no, really, like that is, I, so like, you know how when you're in college, you do like a Marxist reading of the text, right? Like you, and you're looking at everything Mm -hmm. from a class perspective. Like this is super self aggrandizing, but like, I like to do, I, when I started writing, I was thinking about like a Marxist I'm, ro- I'm rolling my eyes so hard at myself, which you cannot see because <laughs> this is a podcast, okay? But, like, it's, 
like I wanted to look at it from a class perspective. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, so class is a big deal in several of my books. Not all of them. Okay. But most of them class is a mm -hmm. big deal. And so while like Marx himself has, has very little to do with it, the idea of like looking at things through like a, a filter of like a Marxist reading does in a mm -hmm. very, very loose, flexible, and probably badly applied way. That's all. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, right. I feel like, yeah, no, that's totally fair. It, it's funny you say about being in college and reading like Marx and all this. I was a political theory okay. like concentration. Like I okay. have a major in political science and like my concentration was theory. So like I've read all <laughs> the books and all the class things and... But it's it's interesting because sometimes I read when like there are the class struggles, especially if you get them and it's like, you know, like you get those uh, books that are more like war-torn Europe, like sort of mm -hmm. deal. And you're like, ah, but the class struggle, this is actually very <laughs> real. Or every once in a while you get like a political radical as like one of the main characters and you're like, hmm, how are you going to be able to like you know, yep. work with your political leanings and also like find your happily ever after. Yeah. And like, and there's like, again, like one, one hand, I feel like I can count the number of, of, um, like actual radicals in historical romance. And I generally write, like, I don't really write people who are like activists. I have one radical mm -hmm. books. I have one radical publisher. Okay. Um, and, and her partner is a radical cartoonist. Okay. But other than that, it's mainly people who are thinking about that. Okay. Um, but yeah, like I think Rose Lerner has a, also has a radical printer and I, uh, Katie, Katie Charles has a whole series about radicals, you know, like, and so there's, <laughs> you know, like it's out there and it also, it does, it does tend to be characters who are already marginalized in one way or another. Like that does tend to be, that does tend to be how it works. I'm trying mm -hmm. to think of others and I'm drawing a total blank. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> So I kind of wanted to circle back around to to the stories and the historical romance stories. And what would you say to someone who would say, but gay people can't live happily ever after in those times? So like the first year that I was, like the, the year after my first book came out, I got a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like that was an email, a lot on Facebook. Okay. Um, and like whenever I did like a... Like whenever I did an event, that 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 was a question I would get. It doesn't happen so often anymore, and I wonder if that's because there's just so much more. There's so much more queer happily ever afters. So, I mean, my answer is always that there are. Like the world is filled with, you know, history is filled with happy gay people. Okay, and just because you have to be, just because you have to keep quiet publicly about who you're with and who you are doesn't mean that you can't be privately happy. People say the same thing about anyone who isn't white mm -hmm. also. Okay. And anyone who isn't Christian, like you, like, well, there was discrimination. How can you possibly write, write, you know, happy endings between people who were oppressed? 
I mean, well, how can you write happy endings about women? Okay. Like women, mm-hmm. women were treated miserably for ever, <laughs> you know, um, like, how, like, how could you do it? To, how can you write a happy ending for women today? Okay. Like, and it's, and the answer is that we individual people find a way. Okay. And you're, and I'm, you're writing about the people who find a way. So that's, that's my answer. That's my polite answer. <laughs> Love it. It's very polite. It's very good. And yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Obviously, I hope you know that we're not those people asking that question. But I, I, but I that. think that there are a lot yeah. of people who, who wonder that. And I will actually freely admit, I did wonder that before I had read, before I had read one. And, and I will also mm-hmm. completely admit this, that I have – but. Before we started this podcast, the diversity of my reading, again, was very small. It was very, you know, lords and ladies, and that's what I wanted to read. I didn't even want to read, like, about the blacksmith. Like, I wanted to read lords and ladies. Mm -hmm. Like, if there wasn't a title, I wasn't interested. (laughs) (laughs) But – and I I look back on myself and look back on this – in shame, I will admit, because I read the Brothers Sinister series by Courtney Milan is really one of my favorite series. I mean, ever. I just, I love it so much. I treasure it. But Talk Sweetly to Me, where it features a black heroine and a white hero, uh, which is the novella mm-hmm. that's the fifth book in the series. I remember reading it and just the whole time feeling, but they can't live happily ever after. But they can't live happily ever after. And I've never reread it. And I know we will get to it one day on the podcast. So I'm waiting. I'm, I'm holding that out because I know I'm a very <laughs> different reader and a very different person than when I first read it. And so I understand that like my bias was there, right? My bias was there and and I didn't see that. And and I think like I, I'm just so grateful that there are more books like that, you know, that that feature diversity and feature different happily ever afters right now, because I feel like that has made me grow not just as a reader, but as a person, you know? Well, also, if it, if, when it, when something makes you question, makes you like real, mm-hmm. realize, right? Like when something makes you, makes you see like your own implicit yes. bias, right? Like that is itself a good thing, yes. right? Like, <laughs> and yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that about your own bias because I remember reading like a novella and it was like the hero was mixed race and the woman was white and it took place in England and I and like he was poor and she was like, you know, slightly higher on like the class scale, like mm-hmm. marginally higher. But in it's funny because when I read that book, I never questioned their happily ever after. Like I never questioned it versus I read a different book. And now I'm just thinking maybe there's just something about the book that just wasn't my cup of tea, yeah. essentially, because <laughs> I was reading it and it was and it was the same thing. It was an interracial couple. But the also the difference was it was taking place in like the American mm. South in middle of the Civil War kind of era. And I really didn't even end up getting through the whole thing because in my head, like like from page three, I was like, what's this happily ever going to be like? Because like because all in my head, I'm just thinking about American history and I'm like, they're just going to get killed. Like. Yeah. Right, right, right. Like they're gonna get lynched. Like, what can we do about this? Well, <laughs> and so, like, but it's so funny because, like, I just when you were talking about your own bias, Zoe, in my head, I was like, oh, this one totally has a happily ever after with an interracial couple, versus this other one, like, can't have one, and it upsets me. So it was like very interesting, like, to see those differences. I think that this is like, I mean, part of that is because we see 
like culturally, we have so few stories, like, you know, popular, well-known stories about, especially about Black people during and after mm-hmm. the Civil War. Like, they have yeah. been systematically erased, erased from our history, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that's, I, that is why, like, we sitting here as, like, you know, white people in 2020, it is, it, it takes, like, an extra step to be like, oh, yes, there had to have been, like, you know, like, happy, fulfilled, in love people of all races, you know, mm-hmm. just despite horrible things happening, you know, because we know that people find love and happiness despite horrible things happening. Like that is what we do, you know, mm-hmm. but there's also a whole bunch of um, like romance and also like general fiction or, or women's fiction, like about, about like mm-hmm. that era coming out soon, which is also really, really exciting. So Awesome. Written, written not by white people okay so like that's which is like the which other great. the other key you know like which is that it's it's like having a white person perspective on like an interracial relationship and civil war the civil war era itself is i'm not sure i want to think about that you know so yeah. Yeah. i think that that actually is a perfect little segue into because we're still talking about race <laughs> um to talk about so i recently watched a documentary that's on amazon right now about gay romance um it's just a 45 minute documentary it's free um and it's about okay. um uh the, the what is it called gal gal the gay uh, it's, it's it's a i'm so sorry i'll link to it in the show notes but it, it is it's it's a, okay. g- a gay literary uh conference that happens every year and it was kind of like centered around that but um one of the things that they mentioned is that you know the fan base for male male romance seems to be predominantly straight females and i'm going to take it a step further and just from conjecture uh say it seems to me like it's predominantly straight white females um do you do you agree or do you think I'm I'm on the right track there but why do you think that is why do you think that that's the fan base so there has been in in especially male male romance there has been a history of some serious racial I mean I it's racism but it's like there's it's there's so much there's not only gatekeeping to publishing people of color, but also racism that just is like literally right there on the page of the book. Okay. Which I can only imagine is deeply alienating for readers of color. Okay. That said, we're seeing an improvement, incremental, slow, disappointing. Okay. Um, but it's happening nonetheless. Also in terms of readership being mostly straight women, I feel like that was probably true a couple of years ago but the people I mostly hear from and again this is obviously a self-selected group of people the people I mostly hear from are queer women yeah okay like that's Mm -hmm. that's those are the people who reach out to me still women but not but not necessarily straight I don't know why like I have no idea why I I can't and since we don't it's not like we have actual no data yeah. on any of this i or on any or on anything about like what groups of people are reading any kind of, of romance i think that it used to be that people who read gay romance only read gay romance okay like it was super mm-hmm. duper si- siloed yeah. okay um and it was it, it maybe fit a certain mold of like white 
men who fit a certain model and act a certain way. Okay. Like, and this is years ago we're talking about. Okay. Now I think there's, there is much more crossover between people who read all different kinds of romance. So I think that queer romance is less siloed. And I think that like the idea of like the MM reader as a person who exists is not as true now as it might have been, at least from what I see. And also the like people who recommend my books often will recommend them in the same breath as someone who's not writing MM, which I think to me speaks for itself. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so, and that's often how I, that's often like, if someone will tag me on Twitter or on Facebook or something like that. And so I'll see that. But I mean, I hope it's less siloed because like the culture that we're talking about from several years ago of that like very racially problematic, that's not great. And I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see it sort of become less, become more diffuse, let's say. And so also in this documentary, I some of the interviewees mentioned something that I thought was interesting. And they they said that they became louder advocates for LGBTQ rights after they started writing. Um, did you find this to be like the case for you? And um, someone someone called it being like publicly gay, you know, uh, because <laughs> even though they they were a straight person um, before, like, did you talk a lot about gay rights before? You know, do you feel like you're pol- more political after publishing queer romance, or the same, or you're not really? trying to be political here. I've never, I mean, like, I've, I've never not been, but I've never not been publicly and politically yeah. queer. Yes. Do you know what I mean? That's never, like, mm-hmm. like I've, I always have been. The difference now is that I have a platform. Yeah. Okay. Like that's, you know, like I could talk to people in my life about things. Right. But now I can talk about it to a whole lot of people all at once. So that's, that's the main difference, but I've never been, shy about my feelings about any of that well good neither me neither <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I, I do think I did think that was an interesting thing you know that some people kind of went through that yeah. metamorphosis um I think specifically an audiobook narrator was talking about that too you know and, and anyhow um, okay but- but he wasn't a writer, right? He was just a narrator. And so it's just, just some interesting stuff. Again, I, I thought the documentary was, was quite interesting. And again, if you have Prime, it's free okay. on Amazon. Um, it's short. It's uh, just it's nice to see that kind of stuff getting made. So, yeah. And we, we kind of touched on it before when we were talking about how you tend to focus the plot isn't necessarily the driving force. It's the character development. And so how do your characters come to life because you write such diverse characters with such diverse backgrounds, sexualities. You really are striving to be very inclusive in the characters you create. So like what's kind of your process as far as creating those characters? I mainly start out with like a setup or a trope. Okay. So it'll be like, I'll I'll be thinking opposites attract or I'll be thinking like a second chance at love or whatever. Like that, that's what I'll be thinking about that. And then I'll be thinking, and then I sort of, as I am brainstorming, and this is before I write anything down, even an outline, I'm thinking like, okay, like what if they 
used to go to school together? Or what if they used to be neighbors? Or what if now they're neighbors? And then I start to go from there. But I'm really starting with that setup or with the trope. And then I start to get a sense of what their personalities are and also what the conflict would need to be, like what the what their internal stakes would need to be. And that's when I start plotting. And I'm a very bad plotter. <laughs> I do plot, but like I do it so I do it so unsuccessfully that I I don't every time, every single book I think to myself, this time, like this time, I'm really gonna get it right. Okay. I'm gonna write this outline and I'm gonna follow the outline. I do not <laughs> I do not follow the outline. You know, and it's and it, but when I try to do not do the outline at all, I wind up with chaos. So so anyway, that's when I start with the outline, but really it's only as I'm writing that I really drill down to who these characters are and what they want. I often have an idea beforehand and I'm, and that idea is often very wrong and bad mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm fixing it as I go. And then I fix it more as I revise. Okay. But <laughs> often like when I go back and revise, I'll discover that the, the character that, I, that I've written for the first couple of chapters is not the character as they are later on. And so I have to go and fix those first couple of chapters. Okay. Like often as I'm writing, like right now I'm writing about a highwayman. Okay. In like 1750. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and like, and he's partnered with like the prissiest, fussiest, aristocrat like who needs to hire him for a job right and but there's but it's also like a like a one last heist type of story where the highwayman has been trying to be on the steep straight and narrow for a little while but this Mm -hmm. like like fussy aristocrat with his embroidered coats and his wigs and his powder and his high heel shoes (laughs) is like tempting him but like that wasn't working like something was wrong like why is he being tempted out for like a tempted to crime by a pretty face that doesn't seem quite right there has to be something else there has to be some but what is that something else and it took me weeks to figure out that there's something that he has to have some other reason for not being for not currently being living a life of crime mm-hmm. you know um and and i also figured out that like what i thought was the aristocrat's major problem isn't you know, and so mm-hmm. like that's there. So there's that's pretty much what I do. I heard somebody describe this as like writing as discovery. Okay, which initially mm-hmm. sounded like very much like are we journaling? Are we journaling about our characters now? But no, <laughs> what what it means is just it's it's that process of your writing, and then you think about what the character would do in that. You're like, okay, they walk in like the. They run into one another in a shadowy alley, okay? Like, in my outline, it may have that they begin passionately flirting with one another. But, okay, no, that doesn't seem right at all. One of them is definitely punching the other one in the face, you know? (laughs) And so, so, like, because that is, you only realize then that that's what's true to the character. There are so many writers who don't need to do that. They go into, they go into writing with maybe not a fully formed vision of what what every single scene is going to be in the book but they know at least who freaking characters are okay and like what and like what these characters what their conflict is like what their what their like goals and journeys are okay and that is just uh, not me and that took me many books to figure out that, that I need to 
write the bad book before I can write the good book, you know, and that's just how it's going to go. That's fair. That's me writing any essay in college. It was literally yeah. like, let me just word vomit on this page. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Then, and then same thing, always started with an outline. Like I knew where I needed to go. And then it was mm-hmm. like, let me just word vomit on this page. And then we'll go back to it. <laughs> sometimes like sometimes you don't see the flaws in your reasoning or like in your thinking until you've actually put the idea into practice. Okay. And mm-hmm. I, that's how I wrote all of my essays in college too. You know, it was the same thing. And it's, some of us have to learn by doing, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that that's what we're doing. We're learning by, by like going through the writing and then we, and then like we can feel our way through and, mm-hmm. and then we can, we can like achieve a vision that we didn't even know was the vision, you know? But yes, that is how I do it for better or for worse. It's the worst possible process I could have, I could have devised. But, but like, but that is apparent. But that is apparently the process I've got. So, hey, you know. everyone has a process. It doesn't mean it's the best process. It's just a process. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> and then, since you know, you mentioned like working through it, like as you go and discovering the characters and discovering where you want to go. I had like saw a different interview you did like last year sometime and you mentioned having like a sensitivity reader, which I just thought was cool because I was like, it's like a fact checker. But yes, like yes. for other things, yeah. <laughs> I want to, mm-hmm. I want to, so like, do you just give them your raw pages and you're like, Hey, read this and tell me what you say. No. Or do you like heavily edit and then hand it to them? Okay. So for, um, a gentleman never keeps score. One of the main characters is black and living in Regency London. Mm-hmm. And like, there was absolutely no way this was, uh, this project was ever seeing the light of day until like a black person had read it and made sure that I didn't like completely and totally drop the ball on this. Um, and so what I did was I hired an editor, like, like, it, like she's black, Tasha Harrison. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like she's a really, really good editor. Okay. Like she's actually a phenomenal developmental editor, which is what you need. Okay. That's what you want from a sensitivity reader is somebody mm-hmm. who is a skilled editor who can be like, okay, so, and basically what she told me was this character is going to be thinking about race more than you have him thinking about race. Okay. Like this is going to be like, like something that is paramount in his mind and, and like, and it's going to affect the way he sees the world, you know? And she's had a whole bunch of other things that were super useful. And she also happens to know a lot about history. And so, it worked out really, really well, but that's what, and that happened. Um, like I, I wrote that book earlier than I ordinarily would have. So that way, after I got it back from her, I still had almost a month to do revisions before I sent it to my Avon editor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so she got what was like the same kind of draft I would have sent to my um, critique partner or my beta reader, like a pretty mm-hmm. polished, like a pretty polished draft, but not anything ready for publication Mm -hmm. Um, for other books same idea um for unmasked by the marcus i had they weren't editors it was two it was anna zabo and jordan hawk who are both um non-binary writers of queer romance and so i was friendly with both of them and so i said look i know this is a big ask but can you just go through this and just make sure that I'm not doing anything horrible here. I just want to get, I want to like, this is not my identity. I want to make sure that I get this right. 
And, um, and so they did. And again, they both gave me feedback, like for places where they thought the character would have, would have had a different response or a different feeling. For an, another, another time I inadvertently used a sensitivity reader was when I had written a character who was on the asexual spectrum and uh, I did it terribly. And my critique partner was just like, no, no, back to the, back to the drawing board. This is not it. <laughs> you know, like just throw it away, cat. Um, and so I, she didn't say throw it away. She was a very mm-hmm. polite. She was very polite, but she made it clear that this was, this was not working and that this is not that like, that this would probably be deeply annoying at best for a lot of people who identify as asexual. And so I did not, there is no asexual character in that book. There is actually, she said, but it wasn't the main character. It was like, Mm -hmm. I shifted it around. Okay. But again, I was super grateful because I don't want to. Like, you don't want to harm people. You don't want to, you don't want to get things wrong. You don't want to be, yeah. So I was very grateful for that. Um, but yeah, for me, having somebody do that is very reassuring to know that, like, okay, my manuscript is in the hands of someone who is an expert at, mm-hmm. at being, at being this identity. Okay. And they have more knowledge than I possibly could. Like you said, it's fact checking and it's also, and it's also like a kind of editing, you know? Um, so yeah, my experiences, but my experiences have been super positive. So I'm glad about that. That's, um, really cool to hear, just to hear about it and hear kind of how the feedback loop works. And, and yeah, that's, that's just really interesting. And, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about your, you know, characters in your upcoming book, which is, um, uh, two rogues make a right. And that comes out in just a couple weeks after this podcast is going to air. I think it comes out on June 28th, if I'm not mistaken. So it's June 20 okay. something. Like yeah, whatever. We'll, yeah. we'll right in the, in the podcast show yeah. notes for sure. Um, but yeah, no. Um, so like I said, I had the, um, you know, the luxury and honor to get, uh, approved for an arc, uh, of it and, and recently read it. And, um, I don't want to spoil anything for people here, so I'm not going to go, you know, t- too in depth about it. But one thing that I did want to mention, and if people don't want to hear anything about it, then skip forward a minute or two, but, um, was one of the characters, um, kind of wrestles with depression a little bit. And I just, uh, you've, you've kind of spoken on this earlier in the the podcast about kind of shedding light on different, just differences that we as humans have, how about, you know, <laughs> to, to make a blanket statement. Yeah. And I, I just, I really loved reading it. I thought it was really subtle and also poignant and like, I don't know, it just, it, it spoke a lot about, you know, depression and, and not having to get better, but just to have support. And sometimes like, that's just who you are and you sometimes have gloomy days. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I really liked that. <laughs> obviously. Um, but I, I wanted to know if you, you maybe wanted to speak uh, to that just a little bit. Yeah. I like, I, you know, like I kind of have gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, you know what? Like the crap I have in my brain is just going to be the crap I have in my brain, you know, like, and that's permanent. And 
like I have, you know, anxiety and depression and like whatever else. And like, that's, and it is okay. Like that doesn't mean I'm delighted about it. And I, and like, I happen to have access to medication, which they didn't in, you know, 1820, but I, but like, I, I like, you know, like write what you know. Okay. Like they always like, write, okay. So a whole lot of my characters have some level of anxiety or depression or just, I realize probably brain garbage is not the best way to like phrase that, but that is what I, that is what I call it. And that is what I call it to my children when they're having like, when they're having brain stuff that's, that feels like it's not great and that they want, that it feels like it's out of their control. You know, it's, that is the kind of brain I know about. Okay. So it makes sense for me to write about people who also have that kind of brain. Mm-hmm. And I like, I like also, I like it. Like it's, it, if I were to write about somebody who, when I do write a character who's like really got their stuff together, I'm like, wow, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, can't relate. Well, I also <laughs> like seeing a character who, you know, has something has a difficulty or has depression or anxiety that isn't fixed by love, you know, like, because that's oh, not yeah. really how right. it works. I think like love can definitely be a support system and can make you stronger and can help you in dark times, but it isn't, you know, a cure for most of anything except not being in love, <laughs> you know? Right. It's sort of like you can be, but like you can be like a, you can be a depressed person in love. Like you can, that can, that's a thing that can happen, you know? And like you, and also you can be, you can be loved while being depressed. Like, you know, like, and those are like that, that's, I always feel like when depression or PTSD or whatever is cured by love, like this, the, the other message is that you can't be loved while Mm-hmm. have that going on right and I don't think anyone intends that to be the message but it's there anyway so I like to write people who are pretty much in the same place with their health or mental health stuff as they were on page one as they are at the end and the difference is like you said just that they're that they're in love you know so yeah I've read a couple books recently that had a similar theme where it was like you know, there was a guy who had severe PTSD and like through the love he had for, you know, his wife and like the love she had for him, he was working on it. And that's where the story ended. <laughs> it was like he was working on it. Like yeah. his uh, his blackout moments were fewer. They happened, but they were right. fewer. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of like that's kind of like. I feel like that's probably a realistic that's, you know, like to be working on it and to be like, okay, I can, I can chart incremental progress. Like that's actually, that's actually a pretty good place to be, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and I, I just, um, I really liked the way you did it in this last book. So I'm, I'm going to, uh, go out on a limb here. No, I'm not actually at all, even a little bit, but just to say, I really recommend, uh, Two Rogues Make a Right, and everyone should go read it. <laughs> when, as soon, pre-order right now, and then read it. Read it when it <laughs> arrives because um, it's gonna it's gonna uh, make you, you smile, and it's 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 definitely the kind of book you you need in a time right now. So um, I just really enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank you. 
So then I guess uh, to wrap up a little bit here, because we've gone pretty long. I feel like we could talk to you all day, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes. But um, so what's next for you? So, so I'm writing the book about the highwaymen. Um, and I'm turning that in in a month. But after that, I'm writing the Hither page. I'm finishing, finally, the Hither page follow-up. Okay. And then I'm writing... And, Oh yeah. And then there's the, like, I accidentally wrote the follow-up to the novella that came out in the anthology earlier in May. And so, yeah, so that ought to come out in this, this fall too. Ideally this fall, I'll have a follow-up to Hither Page and I'll have a follow-up to the um, novella that was in He's Come Undone. So. So you're so. just a busy bee. Be. Seriously. I I, I, mean, I always feel like I have not done anything uh, like that as well. I'm always like, damn, you know, like, and it's, I, and I do not know why. And I realize this is an extremely common feeling for a lot of people and especially women, you know, because I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and the thing is like, when I leave this, when I leave this room, right, like we are, we are recording in my, my bedroom. Okay. So like when I, when I leave this room, I'm going to walk out into the living room and it will be amazing if like the dogs have not eaten a jar of peanut butter <laughs> and, like, and like, and like my children haven't, haven't, you know, like shed blood over who has the, um, whose turn it is on animal crossing or whatever. <laughs> and, and like, and, and like, and I'll be like, Oh, you know, I wasted time, you know, or whatever. But like, but the fact is, like, no, I talked to you for an hour and a half. That is a good Aww. thing, you know. And also, and also, earlier today I did stuff, you know. And later on today I'll write my words, yeah. you know. But I think that I, I always have the feeling that I didn't do anything. But okay, no, I have had two books come out this year. And unless I screw up royally, I'm going to have another two come out, you that's know. Amazing. And like that's that's like. I've, that is so <laughs> much more than okay. I mean, but I, I really am, empathize with that feeling. I'm definitely one of those people too, where it's like, I only did these 10 things today. That's like nothing. You know, what, what was right. I doing with uh, my day? <laughs> I'm on the opposite spectrum. If I can just get my house clean, I'm just like, okay, today wasn't a waste. <laughs> the house is not a mess. <laughs> I tell myself that's where I am. Like that is what I tell myself. Where I'm like, look at you. You know, you drain out the tub. Like yeah. A plus. But then, oh, like, we're not even that sophisticated. I'm just like, the dishwasher got emptied. It was a success today. <laughs> but I think it is important to be always, you know, being gentle with ourselves. It's one of the hardest things to do. You know, is to to kind of be gentle with yourself and tell yourself, like, if if the dishwasher is the only thing I can do today, then that's okay. You know, and that is a victory. Yeah. So, yes. For sure. So, uh, as final, where can people find you? If they want to know what you're doing um, and what's coming out and where they can find the millions of books you're writing in a year. <laughs> My website is catsebastian.com and I am, I pretty much live on Twitter. Like, so that's at cat s rights. Um, I also have Facebook and Instagram and I'm always trying to be like a better human being and actually use those. Nah. But yeah. Yeah. Nah. It, I'm pretty much giving it up as a lost cause. Like maybe I'll, 
you know, I should probably just post pictures of my dogs to Instagram yeah, because, right. yeah, right? Like, I just, just, call I it, just call it a that's day. That's all people really you know? want to see on Instagram but, anyway. <laughs> I know. That's all I want. I want to look also at pic- pictures of, like, people's planners, like, because I'm like, wow, look at yeah. you with your planner. But, like, and I know <laughs> no, I'll never no. do it. But, but, like, no, it's, I, that ship has sailed. But, like, I, but, yeah, so Twitter and my website, that's really where I am. Yeah, that's where to find me. That's great. Great. Well, we were so happy that you were able to join us today for this whole hour and a half that you got to escape. Um, but uh, it was so fun to talk to you and so interesting. And just thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. I had a, I had a great time. Thank you. Well, wasn't that just a blast, Kelsey? I had so much fun talking to Kat. I did. We could have, like, we had to cut ourselves off a little bit because we were just, like, really just jiving. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's so cool to get to talk to. First of all, I feel, like, really privileged and lucky that we get to talk to authors that we love reading because, like, mm-hmm. what a what a cool thing. And then I also love that we get to share that with all of our listeners. Like, I just love that these authors make themselves so accessible to those who are really interested in them. And, and anyhow, it just also was, like, really fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it a was. fun and convo. It was, and it was, and I love, I love the con. It was very conversational, which I love. And you know, a lot of times we, you and I, outline this whole thing, and we have all these questions, and they just, they just get answered, and we don't even have to like bring them up. It's like, cool, that's done. <laughs> Seriously, it was so great because, yeah, a lot of the things we wanted to ask were just things that came up naturally in conversation and kind of got covered. So it's like, it's always really cool when you're like, you know, thinking about preparing and then you're like yeah we we were totally on the the right you know wavelength there because <laughs> the conversation just worked in that direction and and we got to learn all the things we were interested in learning so yes so cool so fun well it's it's really fun doing this because in all honesty I hope you guys like listening to our long form like interviews because I love a long form interview I think they're great just because things just get brought up and and it's just doing them is so much fun because you get that conversational aspect going and yeah yeah I've just I've loved everyone we've talked to and this is no exception like I love I loved Kat. And I yeah, loved we our just we come out of these we come out of these interviews like with such a big smile on our face, like, and I also feel like rejuvenated and energized, and I like want to go read and write, and I don't know, I just like it's such a cool thing, and I should try to find an adjective better than cool, but that's where I'm at right now because my excitement and adrenaline is up from having yeah. a, a fun time. We can't always be eloquent when uh, (laughs) our excitement is through the roof. (laughs) Yeah. So again, thank you so much to Kat for joining us. I think that was just, um, you know, really lovely to have, especially here in Pride Month. You know, I'm so excited that there are more people writing, you know, uh, writing queer romances in the past because, like I said before, I feel like reading more diverse books has improved has made me a better person. Like, I know that's a mm-hmm. kind of a big statement, but I, I really feel it has. It's, ex- 
expanded my worldview. It's it's shown me some of my prejudices and my biases and and made me grow from those. And so like I'm just really thankful for that because that's not the person that I see myself as and it's always a little shocking when you like run into something and you're like, "Oh shit." that's not good of me, you know? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, then you're like, okay, like, how can I make it better? And so also just great books to read. (laughs) Like, great books. Um, So again, her next book is coming out June 23rd. So that's even closer than I said the 28th. So yeah, (laughs) June 23rd, third in the Seducing the Sedgwick series, and it's called Two Rogues Make a Right. And this was part of our 2020 historical romances we just can't wait for list. So like, guys. We couldn't wait for it. And now it's your chance to get it. Seriously. And I will say, I actually had not read uh, the two first books in the series. And there was like a little bit of confusion in this one for me, just because I didn't know about their family. So there were just like a couple of Mm -hmm. things where it was like mentioned kind of their family situation. So you have time, listeners, to go out there and read the first there two. There you go. I'll be honest. As soon as I finished this, I was like, I I must read the first two. They like I I was like <laughs> I don't want to read anything except Cat right now. Like I was super on a binge. So unfortunately, I got sidetracked with something else that I, I needed to read before a certain date. But I am. They are like next on my list because. I, I just – and that was the book that Jeff and Will, when they were on the podcast with mm-hmm. us, they were like, "You, I think it's A Gentleman Never Keeps Score um, the, is the okay. first one. And um, yeah, so they said like – or that's the second one. Um, but the first one is It Takes Two to Tumble. But they said A Gentleman Never Keeps Score was like their absolute favorite of hers. So – and I'm, I'm just like bursting at the seams to read it. Like I can't wait. <laughs> Well, excellent. I mean, luckily she has, as she said, 11 books. So you can go on a real binge. (laughs) I can. I have lots more to read and I'm excited. Like I've just had a a really great time reading it. So we're going to link to that book in the show notes so that you can pre-order your copy and get to reading when it comes out. And again, I just I think it's a really great book for this time. You know, it's it is it's light, it's happy, um, and it's fun, and it's super well written. So, I don't know, can't say enough about it. Excellent, perfect. And so, if you are really excited about Two Rogues Make a Right, or you just want to learn more about Cat and the other books she has, you can visit her website. As she said, it's catsebastian.com. Super easy to find, and you could also find her on Twitter. At Cat S Writes. And her Instagram handle is the same, although she told us really just go to Twitter because that's where she lives. <laughs> yeah, although maybe there's going to be some dog pictures. So who knows? Yeah, <laughs> all about them dog pictures. <laughs> Seriously. And so uh, just as a reminder, as we're wrapping up here, we always love to hear from you guys. So we'd love to hear what you thought of our interview um, and of our interviews in general. Or if you have a book recommendation or questions for us, send us an email. We're at romancepod at gmail.com. Absolutely. And if you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at T as in Tom, N as in Nancy Strumpets, Facebook and Pinterest slash T and Strumpets, uh, Instagram, I meant, and, I meant Instagram and Twitter at T 
T as in Tom, N as in Nancy Strumpets, and then Facebook and Pinterest, the slash, and then YouTube by searching our name. And if you've listened to our podcast before, you've heard us say all those things. So hopefully you know how to find us. <laughs> yes. And um, as it is Pride Month and we are part of the Frolic Net- Network, you should all be checking out the awesome stuff going on at the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. Yes. Remember, we mentioned this last week, but they have like a bajillion things going on this month uh, in honor of Pride Month. So like if you are – if you like what you heard today, you're definitely going to like all the exciting stuff that they have. So be sure to check them out. So see you all next time. And may all your ever afters end happily. Tea and Strumpets is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.